Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Happy New Year. Shinian Kwai Le. Kongi Fat Joy. Happy and prosperous New Year. May you prosper even as your soul prospers, as that's a quote from Scripture. Uh, good to see you today. And uh, yeah, may you know the hand of God not only on your year, but on your decade. You couldn't be alive in Australia without realizing that we've just been through an historic, we are in the midst of an historic uh, period. Australia has been. Uh, on the global uh, news headlines. And if, if you are of the uh, persuasion to think, ah, oh, look, we've been here before, it's all kind of same, same, that would be a, a complete misread of what's taking place right now. What's taking place right now is absolutely historic in its proportions. We're only halfway through the bushfire season and already 10.7 million hectares of land have been burned, uh, 5,900 buildings, which includes 2,200 homes. Uh, 28 people have been killed. That was from last night. Another firefighter uh, passed away overnight, so it's now 29. An estimated 1 billion animals have been killed, and they believe some threatened species will be driven into extinction uh, by what's just happened. And, uh, and entire communities have been devastated. To put into context uh, what's taking place, uh, I can remember preaching on the weekend after the Black Saturday uh, bushfires, and they were enormous. That was 11 years ago. And that was 450,000 hectares of land that was burned then. Or if you think of the California fires last year or the Amazon fires, 800, 890,000 hectares. Uh, I didn't even follow the Siberian fires. They were 2.7 million hectares. In Australia, this bushfire season, 10.7 million hectares uh, of land. It's absolutely uh, historic, unprecedented in in the extent uh, that the bushfires have ravaged our nation. So I thought the only thing really I could speak about this weekend is how we understand God in the context of the bushfires, because I hear people speaking all sorts of different kind of God theories uh, around this whole domain, uh, some which I just think are completely in error. So I thought, well, I, I, I just need to speak into it. There's more than enough kind of water cooler conversations that are happening at work or with the neighbours and like, how do you, what's, you know, what's God doing? Are we being judged by God? Like what's happening uh, with, with all of this? I guess I, I want to start with kind of the end of the story, uh, the second last chapter of the Bible, where we get this statement from God where he says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain for these things are gone forever. So God is ultimately taking all those who put their trust in him to a point where the the final vanquishing is of death and sorrow and pain and and tears and suffering. These things do have a completion date uh, set on them uh, in uh, in, in the future. It speaks in Romans 8.18 where it says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Uh, That sense that our life In the context of eternity, the Bible says our life is like a mist in the morning. Like it is so quick. Whether whether you get to live to your 80 or 90 or whatever it might be, uh, life in the context of the grand picture, let alone the the history of the the universe or into eternity, we we are, we hear and gone so quickly. The Bible says we are tourists on planet earth and we need to have a context especially in our periods of suffering we need to have a much broader context where we can set our hearts and and when the when the bible says that what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal uh, to us later 
it is such a high image of, of what the afterlife is like. I love it where it says in the Bible, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it even entered the heart of humanity, the good things that God has prepared for those who love Him. It is better than you can even possibly imagine. And we need a hope like that to secure our hearts, especially in the toughest times. And our hearts right now go out. We are so grateful for the firefighters, both volunteer and paid. Our hearts go out to the rural communities who are being so profoundly affected uh, by the bushfires that are ravaging our nation uh, right now. So how do we understand God? For those of us who are joining us online as well, like how do we understand God in the context of what's going down uh, with the bushfires? Because people speak about God in all sorts of different ways. Some think of God like a divine puppeteer overseeing a controlled state. So it's kind of like he pulls the strings on everything. It's a complete misunderstanding of his sovereignty. The Bible definitely says God is sovereign, but it never portrays him as a divine puppeteer. That is an Islamic view, uh, worldview of God. That's not a Christian view of God. The Christian view of God speaks the, of, of a God who is love, and uh, this God who is love therefore um, expressed himself lovingly, and that love requires a non-controlled state. Otherwise, it's not actually love. We all know that, each one of us who are a parent, if you have the, uh, the privilege of being a parent, you know, you're going to bring a child into the world, you're going to express uh, your love, and you're going to bring a child into the world, but you know for a fact that child will suffer. You cannot live without suffering. That child eventually will leave you for somebody else. That child will eventually die, and yet you choose to express yourself in love for this little free will agent who's going to kind of enter the world. They're willful. They're volitional. They're going to make their call. There will be consequences to all of that, but you still express yourself lovingly. Therefore, we should not be even a little bit surprised that the Bible speaks about Jesus as the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. That is, prior to putting one atom together in the cosmos, God reckoned the implication of expressing himself in love that people would, as volitional agents, would do things that are not his will. Islamic worldview, everything that happens is the will of God. Christian worldview, things happen that are not the will of God. He allows them to happen, but they are not His will. Now, look at this, a very early reference in Genesis. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry He'd ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke His heart. So, so this, this reflection of God is not a, in any sense a reflection of His weakness. It is a reflection of His love. That God would choose to express Himself in such a way that it would not be a controlled state. Because love itself demanded that people had choice. For love to be genuine, the potential of hate has to exist. For acceptance to be real, the potential of non-acceptance has, has to exist. You have the capacity to love, you have the capacity to hate. You have the capacity to do good, you have the capacity to do evil. It is what it is to be human. 
It's what it is to be human. God made us in his image, and we're volitional people, and we all have that capacity. Well, take that onto a global scale, then take that onto the grand schema of time, and you have a very complex scenario. So in God's sovereignty, he gave humanity responsibility and consequence. So in other words, you can make decisions. You have to face the consequences of those decisions. It's an entirely different concept to God judging us when we suffer. Now, I, I hear people uh, speaking in this type of framework. Or they want to say what's happening with the bushfires, that it's, that it's God punishing us. And they will quote frequently old covenant uh, from some of the prophets, and, and they'll use an old covenant grid. But what I, wanna, I, what I need to point out to you, that is not the new covenant grid. The new covenant grid says this, God poured his wrath on his son, the Lord Jesus. The punishment for our sin was placed upon him, not upon us. Otherwise, God will be burning down everybody's house because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, there's a difference between consequence and punishment. Now, consequence. Consequence that, that we're at the back edge of a 10-year drought. Consequence that we're facing uh, uh, a changing climate. Uh, consequence, whether or not we've done backburning as we should have, whether we have the appropriate legislation uh, for what homes need to be constructed out of. Consequence, whether or not it should be mandated if you're going to build a home in a bushfire-prone zone that you must have a bunker, an underground bunker, as part of your setup so to reduce the potential of loss of life. If you do choose to stay and defend, you've always got a bunker that you can retreat to. Like, in the absence of these things... There's increased death in the absence of these things. There's increased house destruction. There's increased suffering. These are consequence. These are not cause. It's not cause God punishing. Why would God just be punishing rural communities? Everyone in the city, gee, must be really righteous people who live in the city, therefore, hey. Wow. Just only the really sinful people live in the bushfire zones. You know, it annoys the heck out of me when I hear preachers, and I do hear it, unfortunately. I remember in 2009 when we had Black Saturday, a Melbourne-based preacher said it was God judging Australia because of the abortion laws that got passed in Parliament in late 2008. Can you even imagine how hurtful that is to a rural community who got burned out and that somehow this is like, who would ever want to worship that God? Who want to worship that? Who decimates your community because Parliament in, in, in Melbourne passed a law you maybe didn't even support that law. Like it's, it's ludicrous, non-biblical thought. It's, it's, try, it's trying to put a line between two things. And Jesus himself overtly spoke about this. But look, look what the Bible says about where God actually placed his judgment. When he, that's Jesus, was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for uh, our wrongdoing. It's written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. So God's anger against the humanity of sinfulness was placed on the Lord Jesus, not upon you. You get to put your trust in him now, or you get to face judgment after your death. Like the penalty will be paid. God offers to pay it for you. Put your trust in him. He loves you. He's for you. That is the good news of the gospel. 
Jesus actually spoke overtly to this in, uh, in Luke chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, where it says, about this time Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. This is Jesus speaking. Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Like, is this, like, is this God judging them because they were the worst sinners? Like, that's that mindset? How did Jesus respond? Look what he said. Not at all. Like, I, I expanded the font. It, the, the text doesn't... I, ju- I did that for emphasis, just so you would notice what Jesus said. Not at all, Jesus said. That's not the grid. That's not how it works. But he said, and you will perish too, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. There's that eternal warning. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in, the, in Jerusalem? Like, was this the divine puppeteer getting, uh, like, as it happened, the 18 worst people in the city to work, put, walk past the Tower of Siloam at the same time, he nudged it with his elbow. There you go, that took care of those 18 bad people. And Jesus said, no, that is not the way that it works. That's not the way it works. So this is the Lord Jesus himself speaking against that mindset. That's not the way, that's not the way it goes. When you realize you are known and you are loved by God and your life matters, the Bible says God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like you didn't earn it. It's not because you're good. It's not because you're awesome. It's not because you can be so self-righteous that God should be really impressed with you. He doesn't need to be impressed by your achievements. You're the best in class. Look how well you're doing at work. You're an awesome husband or wife or parent. No, Christ died for sinful people, the Bible says. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. There's room for more broken people that God himself makes whole and pours his love out, uh, pours his love out on them. So the bushfires are a consequence. They're, they're, not, they're, they're not God judging people. They're a consequence. I would actually put an appeal out there uh, to, to, to the Morrison government, the federal government of Australia, the Liberal Party. Uh, I've heard again just this week where the prime minister himself said that they will not pass laws uh, uh, that are kind of pro the environment, that are going to damage our economy. And his broader statement went something along the lines of realizing Australia cannot respond uh, to global climate change, like Australia can't make a difference on that. So I'm not going to pass laws that are going to be detrimental to our economy. And can I just personally say, I find it incredibly frustrating that it is perpetually presented that way as if these things are in tension with one another. Uh, we, do we not have the capacity to think through policy that actually can be uh, for our national economy and for our environment? And I, ju- I just really, I would appeal to the government and say, come on, we just need to lift our game on that whole front of things. <laughs> Australia, uh, Australia is, is experiencing international shame on the basis of our current policies and our current practices. And there is a consequence, bushfire as consequence, not bushfire as judgment. So if you have, you have a friend, someone told me between the services, they said, oh yeah, I had a friend ask me exactly that. They said, is this God judging us? The answer to that is no, it's not. Bushfires are a consequence, not a judgment. You want to take it an inch further, judgment fell on Jesus. So we can be forgiven. It's not, that's, this is not the new covenant way uh, that God, that God uh, operates. Well, we therefore need to ask, is there any purpose in our suffering? Edie just led us in a prayer. I know the Ridgeway family are at this service and 
And uh, I didn't get to see whether uh, Dyer John Muller came in, but it's their daughter's funeral uh, tomorrow, Tanya uh, Vohman. And a young mum, police, uh, policewoman, um, uh, children, and it's going to be her funeral service tomorrow. At our first service, uh, one of the gentlemen who came in, I'm not going to name him, uh, told me he just found out this week he's got uh, cancer of his spine and it's, it's not a good uh, picture. And I greeted somebody else on the way in this morning. It was the first time I've seen them since I got told they've got cancer in their system. And, and <clears throat> so can you even imagine the sheer volume of challenge that walked in the door this morning? Can you imagine those who are struggling with, uh, um, with uh, their sense of mental wellness? Can you imagine how many marriages are at a tense place or how many parents are genuinely concerned about their children? I was praying with someone this morning who was between jobs and the pressure that they're on, uh, trying to find a job and the economic implications of that back into their home and then into their relationships. Like, can, you, can you even imagine the kind of load? And then you really do have to say, ask yourself, is there purpose in all of this? Now, on the one hand, I, I, just, I just need to encourage you a little bit, because I want, I want you to realize this. We only suffer because we love. If, if you didn't love, you wouldn't suffer. Two people a second die globally. That's, that's it. That's people entering eternity. Just day and night, every day, every night. And none, none of us are kind of breaking under that weight. Why? Because we don't know those people. But when that person is somebody you know and love, or when it's in your world, when suffering enters, you, enters your world, uh, we feel it. But we feel it because we love. It was actually Buddha who said, uh, we suffer because we desire. His conclusion was, therefore, do not desire. That's the absolute essence of Buddhism, by the way. Don't desire the exact opposite to Christianity, Jesus encouraged us to desire. He said the most important thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So it's at the very essence of those two faith positions is complete diversity. One says don't desire, one says desire. But in choosing to desire, we choose to suffer. You cannot live and love without suffering. It's not possible. And even if that love is exclusively for yourself, if you lived on an island all by yourself, your ego itself, your love for yourself would still make you suffer as you sought the greater questions and purpose in life. It's like the guy who got stranded on an island for 30 years. When he finally got rescued, there were three buildings. I said, what's that building? He said, that's my home. What's that other one? He said, that's the church I built to worship in all by myself. I said, what's the other one? He said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. It's no good. I didn't want to go there anymore. <laughs> <clears throat> Not that there'd be any reality in that anywhere. <laughs> I, no, I could just go there. I won't. It's too many jokes. Like, I want to get a minibus going around the local churches here. Like, everyone who wants to go to that one, just get on now, and we'll pick up some people. They'll go over there, and then you come back here later. And, yep. Is there any purpose in our suffering? How do we make sense of it? Because it's real. It is real. We suffer. Well, number one, suffering warns us and prevents Further deterioration. It's the phenomenon of your hand getting too near to the flame. And it's, it gets too hot. And you don't keep pushing forward because pain is causing you to pull back to prevent further deterioration. 
uh, leprosy, the disease which kills nerve endings, which causes people not to experience pain, leads to further damage being done because they don't feel pain. I remember reading about uh, a person who had leprosy touching a hot pot. It was already off the burner, but it was so hot. And as they touched it, it burned their skin. And they pulled the hand back and they cried and they held the hand. And people went over and said, did you feel that? And they said, no, I'm crying because I did not feel it because of the burn that was made worse, because there wasn't an auto-response to suffering reduces. It's, it's a deterrent uh, to, to, to further, um, to, to further uh, breakdown. Uh, Proverbs 22 verse 3 says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. It applies at every level. Edie and I have been married 34 and a half years, and, and you know, at least once or twice, she's told me it's not fun to live with me sometimes. Uh, I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's, it's painful to hear that. I've sometimes wept when she's had to have that type of chat with me. And, but it's that checkpoint early which prevents further deterioration. It's like getting a speeding ticket. You might go, ah, speeding ticket, I can afford that speeding ticket, you know, it cost me 220 bucks or whatever, and, and, uh, but then you get a few tickets, and all of a sudden, the government's going to ramp it up. They say, you get another one, we're going to take your driver's license away. And the pain associated with that begins to modify your behavior. And if you don't modify your behavior, they'll take it away from you, and then they'll take it away from you longer, etc. You know, they'll, they'll start to, they just keep ramping it up till you finally hit a point of sufficient deterrent. That's part of the purpose of suffering. It, it deters us from further uh, deterioration. Secondly, suffering teaches us. We learn our greatest life lessons actually in our suffering, not in our success. This is where character is built. This is where courage kicks in. Uh, this is when we do our greatest points of self-reflection. It's when it gets really tough that we do some really acid um, uh, review. Of, of kind of the path that we've found ourselves uh, walking down. Uh, the psalmist wrote it this way in Psalm 119, verse 71. My suffering was good for me. It taught me to pay attention to your decrees. Or in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, the apostle Paul wrote it this, for we know that trials help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So the, the effect of the trials is our growth and our development. Thirdly, uh, suffering keeps us humble. I, uh, back in 2005, I contracted a disease called uh, psittacosis. It's very uncommon, maybe only a dozen occurrences of it across Australia annually. It's just not very common at all. If you like the TV show called House, uh, where he, de he deals with rare diseases. Um, he, he did an episode on psittacosis once where they're trying to figure out what's killing this guy. It's got a morbidity rate of 20 to 30% if it's not treated. And you go through, you initially look like you got the flu and you enter into pneumonia and then you go into severe pneumonia and your brain inflames, your liver inflames, your lungs uh, start to collapse. My blood began to clot. And, uh, you know, it was, my system was crashing and burning. And just before I got admitted to hospital and put in isolation, they still didn't know what I had. Edie had to carry me virtually into the doctor. You know how humbling that is? That when you can't even walk and you got your arm around your wife and you kind of, your feet are going all over the place and she's kind of dragging, dragging you into a doctor before he says, you just got to get to, you got to get to a hospital now. 
It's humbling. Those of you who have reached a sufficiently ripe age, you can't tie your shoelace anymore. Like you can see it down there, but you can't get to it. It's humbling because you can remember what it was like when you were 21. You can remember what it was like when you were strong and vigorous. You can remember, like, like if you can get down, to, get down there to change your shoelace, you kind of look around to see what else you can do while you're down there, because like you've made it down there. Is there anything else I can do like while I'm down here? Is there... You can remember what it was like to have a sharp mind. It's like the two old ladies driving along in a car, and a lady drives through a red light, and her friend goes, wow, she drove through a red light. But I, I won't say anything. She drove through a second red light. She goes, she's driven through two red lights. When she went through the third one, she said, Olive, you've driven through three red lights. She goes, am I driving? <laughs> like, the, 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 it is actually the, the deterioration of our capacities. It is humbling. It is humbling. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. And we realize our vulnerability at our point of suffering. It, it's, it's actually part of life. And fourthly, suffering prepares us for eternity. A friend of mine, atheist nurse in uh, palliative care, one day dismissively said to me, oh, they, they all call out to Jesus before they die. I said, really? She said, yeah. And she was dismissive of it. I thought it was awesome. I thought like thief on the cross type stuff. My father drove to, back to Goolwa recently because two of his friends had died. My father's 84. And while he was back there, he was back there for three or four days, another three friends died while he was there. He's starting to look toward eternity. He's in the zone. He, he can see it happening, or he can see it happening all around him. That's what it does to you. I married a couple, 79 and 82, and they said to me, maybe we'll get one year, maybe we'll get five. But we feel like we're God's gift to each other at this stage of our life. It's the only time in my life I've married a couple who said, maybe we'll get one year. Most couples are looking a little longer term than that. So it, it does, it prepares us. We, we make different plans. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18 said, Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. People's hearts get inclined towards God in their suffering. Did you see this guy? He got interviewed. This is a quote from him. I saw him say it on the news, then I saw it in print. He said at that point, he was in the bushfire, like he was in a genuine risk zone in Victoria. He said at that point, he said, I was praying. He said, I'm an atheist. I was praying to God, praying to Jesus, turn the wind, <clears throat> he said. They say in war, trench warfare, there are no atheists in the trenches. Suffering does that to you. you know, it raises our awareness of God and, and of the eternal realm. The psalmist in 69, 29 put it this way. He said, I'm suffering in pain. Rescue me, O God, by your saving power. So C.S. Lewis put it this way. I conclude with this. He said, pain insists on being attended to. So the bushfires across Australia right now insist on being attended to. A lot of reviews will happen. A lot of reviews. Legislation will take place as a result, God willing. 
good legislation will take place that will save future generations from having to face what we're having to face right now. Whether it's to do with home construction laws, whether it's to do with backburning laws, whether it's to do with bunker laws, whatever it might be. Like the, the best of Australian society comes out. Pain insists on being attended to. That's why we just took up an offering uh, for the, those who've suffered so much from the bushfires. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience and shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So there is purpose. And I opened by saying, I don't know what, what challenges you walked in here with today. I do know to live and love means that you will suffer. You will. It's part of the whole deal. I do know that this is not God judging us. It's a consequence. God is for us. He knows you. He loves you. He is for you. Jesus Christ bore your penalty. And I guess I close and ask those in this room and those who are online, have you put your trust in that God? Have you put your trust in Him? Do you know the reality of what it is to be washed clean by the shed blood of Jesus? Do you know what it is to have that fresh start? The Bible says if any person is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So let's just pause for a moment right now. Can I invite us all to bow our heads and pray? I ask you in this prayerful position, do you know, are you confident that you are right with God? Have you put your trust in Him? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Can you say, when Jesus died on the cross, He died for me. He shed His blood for me. He paid for my sin all my wrongdoing. The penalty doesn't fall on me. It was placed on him because God loves me. And if you're not confident of that, I invite you right now. I say to you, the ball is in your court. God's pushed it in front of you today. He knocks on the door of your life and he waits for you to open the door. Are you ready to do that today? You might be at that point in your journey where you say, it's my day, it's my time. I need to put my trust in Jesus this day. Now, if that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you know the reality of what I'm talking about, please fill this room with your prayers for anyone who's uncertain. Just right now, let's create an environment, a safe spiritual environment. You won't get a more affirming environment than this to respond to God. You might like to pray and say something like this. You might say, God, thank you so much that you know me and you love me. Thank you that you are not judging me, but you've made a provision for me in Jesus. So right now, I want to turn away from doing it my own way. I want to turn to you. I put my trust in you, put my faith in Jesus. Please come to me now. Do your great work in me, forgiving me, renewing me, saving me. I, I come to you now as best I know how. God sees you doing that. He gives his yes to you as you give your yes to him. If anyone receives Christ, the Bible says, they're a new creation. Now, if that is the prayer of your heart, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now on the count of three to lift your face and raise your hand. Say, that is me today. It's important for you to affirm it to yourself and to God and to be prepared to own what you're doing. So are you ready? If that's the prayer of your heart, today is the day where you're taking that faith step and putting your trust in Him, 
I invite you, lift your face and look at me and raise your hand high, okay? Are you ready? Is that you? Is today your day? On the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise it and lift it and keep it high till I can see you. Raise your hand. Yes, ma'am, I see you. God bless you. Yes, back there, I see you. Right at the back there, sir, I see you. Yeah, throw your hands up high. Easier for you to see me than for me to see you. Over in this section, just raise your hand high if that's you this day. I just want to open up there. I know this is a sacred moment. If that's you, just lift your hand right now in your face. Go ahead to me today. Ma'am, God bless you. Yes. Just raise your hand high. You go, yeah, today's my day. Today's my day. Today I'm putting my trust in Jesus. Raise your hand right now, wherever you are. Say, yeah, I'm crossing the line today. It's a big day for me. God bless you, each one of you. Father in heaven, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'd meet people according to their faith and do your great work in them. We celebrate them right now. Thank you for them, Lord. And Father in heaven, I want to pray for each person who on this day is facing really tough times. For those who have been affected directly or indirectly by the bushfires or whatever it is that they're facing right now, draw near to each one in your loving grace. Remind them that you are for them, that you are the one who carries them when they feel like they're collapsing. You are the one who will provide for them. You are the one who will give them strength to face each and every day because you are for them and not against them. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we bless your name. So in Jesus' name we pray and God's people agreed and said, amen and amen. God bless you. Let's stand on our feet and let's worship him, shall we?